You're listening to The COVID Chronicles, a podcast from the Emory University Center for the Study of Human Health. Each week, a student from the Health and Science podcasting course interviews public health experts about the COVID-19 pandemic and the important intersections with nutrition, mental health, maternal health, and more. I'm Carolyn Christ, a health and medical journalist in Georgia who co-teaches the podcasting course. I hope you'll enjoy this series as much as I did. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Hello, my name is Rachel Brown, and welcome to Unpacking Hookup Culture a podcast where we dive into the misconceptions of hookup culture on college campuses. Today, I'm joined by three guests. First is Tiffany, a straight sophomore in the College of Arts and Sciences, who will be sharing her experiences with hookup culture before and after COVID-19. My second guest is Anna, a junior in the College of Arts and Sciences who is a lesbian and in a relationship. She will be sharing her conceptions of hookup culture from a queer standpoint and as an outside observer. My final guest will be Elizabeth Peeler, the Assistant Director of Emory's Office of Health Promotion, who will share the way that the office tries to keep students safe while recontextualizing the misconceptions of hookup culture. Hi, my name is Tiffany. I am in class of 2024. I'm an econ major and an English minor. How would you describe like the hookup, the general hookup culture at Emory? From my experience, it seems like it was a lot more subtle than I anticipated from college campuses in general. And it feels like it isn't as big of a deal as someone who probably coming into college would have thought it was. But definitely COVID might have influenced that. Um, Even before, though, uh, since I took a gap year, the hookup culture wasn't hugely prevalent in my life. Can you talk more about the misconceptions of hookup culture? Yeah, I think that in a lot of movies and such that we watch about like college campuses, it seems like um, the only time that you hook up with someone is if you get drunk at a party. But that really wasn't the case and it seems like a lot of times um hookups happen even when people are sober but definitely it does happen after parties i guess so it wouldn't be i wouldn't put it past it to be something that happens but it is not as daunting and pressurizing um do you and your like friends have conversations about this like about hookup culture and stuff I don't necessarily think that we have conversations about the culture in general, but definitely it's a little bit more under the radar than like with my friend groups, at least Uh, like we talk about it, but it's not in a way to like shame the person or even shame the person that they're hooking up with, which in a lot of, I guess, media, it seemed like it'd be a bigger issue if you hooked up with someone suddenly you're like, Oh, you're like, salacious or something but that really isn't the case here it's like whatever you feel comfortable talking about and I think that with Emory's campus being like a medium size not everybody knows your business unless it is like a big deal um but for the most part I think it like stays within the friend groups I guess 
do feel like it is really dominated by like the presence of like one perspective or like for instance like I feel like I usually see like it's uh, like a male pleasure perspective do you feel the same thing yeah I personally don't think so I think that's a little bit more balanced on this campus which I think is really cool actually um I don't know if necessarily Emory puts that forward um, or if maybe that's just within like the people I interact with, but definitely um, it can be seen as a very dominated, uh, male dominated uh, perspective, just because that's the way that it's been seen in media for so long. It's always, you know, for the man's pleasure. Do you feel like like hookup culture has like strongly impacted your experience at Emory? I, I guess I don't really think about it that much. Definitely it like is there. Um, but it's not something that's going to be like impeding with everything else I do. Like at least this year, I've been really focused on trying to like maintain my connections with just friends and stuff. Like definitely like going out and like hang out is still a lot of fun, but I wouldn't say that it is largely impactful of my college experience I think the idea of hookup culture is that it is something that's just fun and pleasurable kind of like a party that you go to and but like isn't something that takes up a lot of what you think about it It just isn't something largely on my mind and kind of like going back to our conversation about like mainstream media kind of like what what did you anticipate when you first got here yeah, I guess, like, when I came into college, it always felt like hook of culture was, like, inseparable from, like, party culture and inseparable from, like, being under, like, the influence, whether you're drunk, whether you're high, like, that is the only time that hook of culture happens and that, like, the sins overlap or something like that. But after, like, a little time um, away from college when I took my gap year, I kind of realized that, like, thinking that these two things go hand in hand that you know you have to be drunk in order to hook up with someone or you have to be high to hook up with someone really plays into this conception that sex is not meant to be pleasurable in its own act and that it is something that you only do when you like let loose and that it's only like acceptable when you're like not fully conscious because a fully conscious person something like something ridiculous like that. Um, but I don't think that way as much anymore. And I think that just thinking about hook of culture by itself, it is a little bit toxic if you think of it that way. Um, it is especially toxic if you use it as kind of like a coping mechanism for stress too. Cause you know, college students are really stressed and, um, over the weekend, sometimes it's like, Oh, why don't I have a drink? And then like, just like chill out um but definitely thinking about sex in that way and like hookups in that way kind of hurts the way that you perceive sex and the way that you look at yourself and whether or not you like deserve the pleasure when you're having sex and like having good sex too yeah and do do you think like hookup culture at emory feeds into that as well do you think like people kind of I mean, like you said, it is a very stressful environment. It is a very stressful school. Do you think Emory feeds into that, like, usage of hookup culture as a coping mechanism? I I don't know if I would say Emory as a whole, but definitely Mm -hmm. I think that it is a college student, like, thing that happens 
Yeah. Um, I don't know if I could generalize it completely, but definitely I do think that it happens. Um, and you're talking about your gap year. Like, was there anything like within the gap year, like after taking a step back from school that like made you like, just like think more about like hookup culture, or just kind of like, since you were out of school, did it help you like analyze? I think so. Just because when I was on the gap year, it was also during COVID. And so I didn't, go out very much for like huge parties or something or like I stayed with my family and so I wasn't like drinking excessively or like smoking or anything um it was overall a very clean year and so it gave me a little bit more time to think about my relationship to like party culture and as a result how party culture plays into my like more sexual relationships and it seemed like at the time I thought that they had to go hand in hand because otherwise it's like oh this is like unacceptable then after a while, I was like, I think I could still have a pleasurable experience with someone and have a very intimate relationship without having it built on a foundation of, like, alcohol. Do you think it would be more helpful if more undergraduates had that perspective? I don't know if I would force my perspective onto undergraduates. Like, <laughs> I don't want to, like, be preached. But I do think that, like, having some conversation about like sex being a pleasurable act instead of something as a coping mechanism or some kind of like punishment for whatever is something that should be had because I think it's uh, under sometimes it's an underlying current in the back of your mind and you don't realize it the same way that if you pick up a drink you don't realize maybe you're just very stressed and this is like a habit that you're creating for yourself um I think that's a conversation that's worth having, um, not necessarily within a health classroom, but I think that it should be one that we have more often. Yeah, nice. And do you kind of, after like reflecting on your experiences, do you feel like mainstream media um, properly represents like college hookup culture overall? I think I think mainstream media dramatizes it a lot. Yeah. As you know, as mainstream media does. And that is sometimes a little bit problematic because then you come in with this perception like, oh, I can, I will hook up if I go to a party. Um, and you go in thinking that when, you know, sometimes you go to a party to have fun with your friends instead. Um, and so I think mainstream media definitely makes it very dramatic and seems like it's a bigger part of the college experience than it really is. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I kind of have, like, one, like, side question. This is, um, I've been noticing on, like, TikTok especially, there's, like, all these people who, like, goals for the night, like, missions for the night um, <laughs> kind of videos. And a lot of the times they're, like, hook up with somebody and stuff like that. Do you feel like a lot of people, like, go out, like, with the intention for, like, to end their night with a hookup? Maybe, but I, maybe. <laughs> I guess I never really thought about that. I, I'm not on TikTok very often, so I haven't seen this very much. I haven't thought about it very much. Um, but I do have, like, friends who go out with the intention of, like, a hookup. And, you know, that's their own choice then. And I don't think that anyone should be, like, saying, like, oh, you shouldn't do that or, like, you should. It's, like, you know, it's your choice. Have fun with your night. Um, just, like, be safe about it, I guess, is what I would say to that person. Yeah. 
And what do you, like, what kind of resources have you heard about, like, from Emory, like, in regards to, like, just, like, sexual health and, like, safe sex? Uh, I remember getting a couple pamphlets at the beginning of the year from the Office of Student Health or something like that. That was in a little slag bag. It was really cute. Um, Planned Parenthood. But aside from that, I don't really know if I've heard about, like, very specific resources for sexual health oh the office of queer health and the office of women i think yeah well thank you so much for joining me thanks for having me our next guest is anna who discusses being queer and observing hookup culture at emory her perspective offers a juxtaposition to Tiffany's and dives into questions of inclusivity, the origins of hookup culture, and the misconceptions we allow to dampen our college experiences. My name is Anna. Uh, I'm a junior student in the college, majoring in economics and trying to figure out what to minor in. I identify as a lesbian. I also identify as butch. So how would you describe, like, hookup culture at Emory? I think it's really weird. Um, It's really different for queer people here than it is for straight people here. For straight people here, I honestly hear, like, literally borderline horror stories when it comes to, like, how men on this campus treat women on this campus. But also I'm relatively removed from it. I don't have a lot of straight friends. Um, But for queer women, like, I honestly feel like I've met a lot of queer women on this campus who don't like men and have sex with men because there's such a small, or I don't know if it's a, there's a small group of queer women on this campus or if we're all just isolated from each other. I kind of have a theory that we're isolated from each other because, like, I mean, people like having sex for obvious reasons and, like, they have a need that needs to be fulfilled. Like, I feel like I've met a lot of queer women that don't want to be having sex with men that are, um, which is very interesting to me. Yeah, that is really interesting. Going off of what you're saying, talking about how um, men treat women on Mm -hmm. campus, like, what have you noticed in those conversations? I've just heard, like, literally despicable rumors about our Greek life here. It's almost said, like, it's humorous. And I'm like, I don't find this funny. I always, like, file the reports. I don't know if anything comes of them. I hear rumors about frats that have, like, multiple Title IX accusations. You hear rumors about drugging people at a mags party they were throwing over halloween and this year yeah this year oh my god or you just hear stories about like how horribly like they treated women like in the dorms or like hear rumors about guys that are like bringing girls back to their dorms like with no respect for their other like male roommates too and it's just like very weird um how i feel like a lot of people on campus think it's funny as opposed to like misogynistic and like sexually like abusive like I don't know yeah no I definitely I feel like I've had like a similar experience and how people talk about it like it's a joke and it's not very funny like I think it's it's also like really horrifying for a lot of people yeah because I think there's obviously a like nationwide problem with sexual assault on college campuses and to the point that like I think some college campuses are literally like harboring like sexual what is assailants like i mean uh and i just i don't understand why we talk about it like it's funny i guess yeah no i agree i'm kind of looking at your time at emory 
what was your like perception of hookup culture as a freshman and how has that maybe changed throughout the pandemic and like mm-hmm. coming back on campus junior year? I felt like as a freshman, it was a bit overinflated. Like the idea like that everybody was having sex with everyone all the time. I feel like that's kind of the impression like, and even like as a senior in high school, like the people just go like absolutely feral in college. <laughs> but I don't necessarily know if I think that's true or like uh-huh. a universal experience. But I do think like the people that are going crazy are going crazy, crazy, especially over COVID. It's like you see these people that like, they're really into the party scene, but I think like they're more the people that like you hear kind of wild stories about because mm-hmm. I do think that wild stories about sex do kind of pass around on campus in a way yeah. that's like kind of immature. Those people like were not holding back over COVID. COVID was not changing their behaviors at all. Interesting. Like, okay. It's like some people I feel like come to college and they feel like entitled to like kind of treating college like a playground. Or like a place, a place with an absence of consequences. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because I think colleges like protect white students a lot, especially straight white men. Like the colleges protect students from any real consequences, and their other students they hold to like an impossibly high standard because they have to like prove that they're good enough. Like they have to like be a model minority, or they you know, or they're poor and they don't have somebody to like bail them out of their consequences here. But we have a lot of rich people on this campus, and so I think that that's another part of it too where like yeah. I was noticing a big trend of like all the people that I saw still going out over COVID still like hearing stories about them hooking up and it's like during the middle of a pandemic it was all rich kids it was all like very very rich kids I think that there's like more people here like than I realize that don't think that consequences apply to them yeah no I think I definitely agree and I think that's definitely prevalent in the realm of hookup culture like the way that you describe hookup culture is that what you expected when you came to Emory, that it would be like this? No, because I also think that you get a perception of, like, college being... Like, people act like college is kind of like a utopia. That whole hookup culture exists in, like, a um, evolved kind of way where it's, like, it's hookup culture, but it's also, like, there's a level of respect between people. But I do think you're just getting, like, a bunch of teenagers, putting them all in a setting where they have nobody, like, watching out for them. And I don't think, like they know how to respect each other that much in college like and I think the same it doesn't just go for hookup culture I think it goes for friendships too so I had like a perception of it I guess that was more like oh I'd go to college and I would be like having all this sex or like or I would know a lot of people that were having a lot of sex and it would be like great almost like (laughs) yeah like it it wouldn't have any problems associated with it but it definitely has its problems (laughs) How do you think that mainstream media has impacted, like, your perception of what you thought Emory would be versus Mm. what it actually is? I think it's kind of weird because I think our mainstream media that revolves around teenagers, not a lot of it is about college. Yeah. Like, our TV shows that are about teenagers, which is very kind of gross to me, too, because it's like, they could just make it about college and then it's about legal adults having sex with each other, but instead it's like these shows where, like, 35-year-old actors are playing 15-year-olds all having sex with each other media nowadays like saying that it's liberating shows kids in an over sexualized way like teenagers in a super over sexualized way which i just don't think is true i walked into college with the perception that people were having more sex than they were having people were going crazier than they were going and i think i kind of walked into high school with the same perception that like people have more sex in high school than they really have the media just likes to over sexualize people um what conversations have you and your friends had, like, about hookup culture? I feel like recently it's a lot more tame than it is freshman year, because freshman year you meet a lot of people. 
that you may never interact with again. So I feel like freshman year, I met a lot of people that I have, like, literally no idea what they're doing now that would tell me, like, these crazy stories about people. And so, um, but now I feel like in conversations with friends, it's all, like, it, it's a lot more adult. Like, there's a lot of growing up that goes on in college, and it's much more, like, I had this hookup, it was fine, or it was bad, or, um, it's a lot less, like, I just think that people are a lot less emotional about it now. Because I just feel like we all know ourselves better, a little bit better at 20 than you know yourself at 18. Yeah. So my perception of it has become a bit more positive and less like, wow, people are really going crazy here, I guess. What impacts have you noticed on your friends regarding hookup culture? It's a big part of, like, a lot of people figuring out who they are. And people, I feel like people have strong opinions either way on hookup culture, where it's like, People either think that it's the worst thing in the world, it's like the downfall of our society, or they think that it's like the best thing ever. I think that it really just depends on how mature you are, if you're, if it's like a good thing. Because I feel like I've noticed with my friends, it's just like, it's almost like they tell me about hookups in like a neutral way now. Mm-hmm. Like here's a fun thing that happened, as opposed to like it's this catastrophic like it's yeah. so dramatic kind it of. feels like i agree i feel like it's a lot more of like oh here's a life update for yeah, you yeah yeah yeah. Like, this is going on in my life going from freshman year to junior year there's a lot less like weird insane details that you hear like just floating around and have you noticed any like mental impacts or emotional impacts when it comes to sexual behaviors within your friends i feel like the emotional impacts come when people have multiple hookups with someone um and it's just hooking up because I feel like people act like oh if you hook up with one person never see him again hook up with one person never see him again it's like that's the worst thing you could do to yourself mm-hmm. but honestly like I think that people have more bad experiences in hookup culture when they hook up with one person over and over again and that person just like ends up being an asshole as yeah. people sometimes do like that's the only times that I've really ever felt like I was hearing from a friend that it was like emotionally or mentally bad that the person like when they, like, were continuing to hook up with somebody and, like, why am I still doing this? Yeah. Um, but I feel like I've never really heard anything about, like, emotional mental impacts when I hear from people, like, they had sex with somebody one time. And I feel like that's what people see hookup culture as. Part of the, like, that's what people see as, like, the big part of hookup culture is, like, everybody just having sex, like... Yeah. And, like, having no, like, not even knowing the person, never seeing them again. Do you think that hookup culture has impacted the way that we label relationships? Yeah, I guess. I think so. But I also think that, like, I think we have an over-dramatized feeling of how different the world is now than it was pre-hookup culture. Mm-hmm. Like, because I feel like hookup culture has, like, always, ex- like, I feel like people our age have always had casual sex with each other. It's just, like, now they're allowed to talk about it, and so there's this, like reaction like i don't know like it's ruining america's youth Mm -hmm. or whatever but it's like america's youth has always been having casual sex with each other so i don't know if it has necessarily changed things i just think like the terms for it change like dating means i want like it has a more serious connotation now Mm -hmm. than it used to just because like i feel like there's a lot of slang around things like hookup culture and so like like talking to somebody yeah, versus like, dating somebody mm-hmm. versus like the label boyfriend girlfriend or yeah whatever. so yeah i just think that the language has changed but i don't necessarily think that like people are hooking up more or less you know yeah. all right so going in kind of more to the resources that are available on campus um what do you know about the office of health promotion 
I haven't seen somebody since literally the beginning of college. So if I got an STD, I think I would have, like, a bigger fish to fry <laughs> at this point. Like, yeah. in terms of, like, the emotional impact of that, because that would <laughs> obviously have other implications. But I really don't know that much about it. Um, like, maybe I should know more, but at the same time, it's, like, not super relevant to my life. Yeah. Um, Emery does a really bad job of making people aware of their resources. Because mm-hmm. when I, I was making an appointment or Western Health, and I had no idea that they have, like, gynecological resources. Um, you can get, like, hormone, like, HRT. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know any of that. I just feel like Emory needs to be a little bit more... Um, Forthcoming. Yeah. Makes people a little bit more aware about their resources. Like, literally in the... Like, right outside the DCT, they were doing, like, um, the DeKalb County, like, mm-hmm. health came, and they were doing HIV testing. Like, that should be advertised all over. Yeah. So, I honestly, like, don't know that much, and I also, um, I don't know how much they, like, do for queer people, um, compared to how much they do for, like, straight students. Yeah. Um, kind of talking about the, the differences between, like, the queer education, mm-hmm. um, and the straight education, what were your perceptions of, like, Health 100, talking about different reproductive topics, I don't know. Uh, honestly, I don't remember health very well. Uh, <laughs> so fair. Like, it didn't, like, the, and then I guess maybe that's a problem, like, that it doesn't stick in your mind. I, I'm sure it was more straight than it was gay. I just, like, went to Catholic school, and so it's, like, it's going from none to anything at all. Mm-hmm. So, but I think that they focus more on straight people because what they're really concerned about I think before STDs is pregnancies on campus because yeah. pregnancies on campus um, impacts their enrollment more than STDs <laughs> on campus uh, they want you to be safe like they mm-hmm. don't want to have to deal with that like I do remember freshman year joking with my friends like there was going to be a complex baby because <laughs> like, people were like saying that someone had a pregnancy scare but and that there was going to be a complex baby. Um, but no, I feel like health... Health does an okay job about that. Mm-hmm. I have a bigger fish to fry with health with how they talk about food. But yeah. that is not what this is about. <laughs> um, so yeah. I will digress. But um, I think that they do a fine job of it. Uh-huh. I don't know. I just think it's always awkward. And like for some reason, we as a society can't move past it being so stigmatized and so awkward and like hum- sex in general yeah humorous to talk about as opposed to just being like can we just be like adults about yeah. it like can we have a mature conversation about something we all know we all do yeah like i don't think that you there's like any in the sex ed class like i don't think that there's really a huge show of maturity between like 14 18 yeah i don't know like i don't um, think people necessarily I feel like people feel uncomfortable by it, especially coming into college with mm-hmm. many different experience levels, mm-hmm. and so they don't know how to rectify that discomfort without making a joke out of it. Yeah, I would agree. And then I also think that something we had at the beginning of freshman year, like this huge seminar on like how to file a Title IX report oh, and yeah. how to do that, but all that kind of stuff, which is good that they did that, but I also feel like they don't continue to make those things accessible. It's still very difficult yeah. to do something like that. So I'm. I just think that 
there just needs to be like more awareness about what resources are out there and i just don't think that there is like i think there also needs to be like repeated awareness yes like constant awareness because it's like if you're dealing with something like a sexual assault like being told one time freshman year what to do like that's not going to be very helpful in like the wake of something like that like (laughs) i don't know yeah how do you think um hookup culture has impacted your larger experiences at emory even though you have been in a relationship um not at all (laughs) um like as me as an individual person not a ton it's impacted my friends um but i feel like uh i feel like my friends are pretty mature like when it comes to stuff like that because i think that when you grow up gay you have to be more mature about stuff like Mm. that like it's less of a joke that kind of stuff to you because it's like gay sex is like already a joke to people (laughs) and so it's like i don't know like I think they try to be a little bit more mature about that, but then I also think that, like, because the lesbian dating pool is so small, it makes things really messy, and it also makes it so, like, I feel like more uh, queer people on campus, because you don't want to, I mean, for lack of a better term, shit where you eat. Yeah. Like, because, like, they're all friends with each other, and so, like, like, I've heard, I feel like, some messy stories from queer people just because it's, like, well, we're also friends with each other, we're also kind of isolated. But I do think that there are more queer people on this campus, but that we are just, like, kind of isolated from each other. And that yeah. we just shy away, again, from, like, the resources that are supposed to, like, connect us. I, I don't, I think that people avoid Emory Pride. Um, yeah. For a myriad of reasons, but I don't know. Yeah. Do you feel like queer people have the same access or the same voice in hookup culture as straight people on campus oh absolutely not because um that's just like not the traditional college experience you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i feel like the what and what like is the big marketing pull of the traditional college experience is that like one you'll be a borderline alcoholic and that you know you'll go crazy and like having sex or all the time but it's all very much for like a specific type of student mm-hmm. um it's for a type of student that will, like, well, you go crazy in your four years, and then you'll calm down, and you move to the suburbs, and you have a family. It's yeah. Like, that's kind of what... It feels like that kind of stuff is, like, for. Like, the concept of hookup culture is for. Mm-hmm. Like, I also just feel like larger, like, societal trends, when they get talked about, like, hookup culture, like, it all gets talked about in, like, a, sh- a very straight way. Mm-hmm. So I don't really feel like it gets like talked about how it is for lesbians or like if it does it gets like kind of made fun of yeah like with like you hauling or stuff like that you yeah. know what i mean like it just gets like mocked as opposed to like having a real discussion about it or like it gets mocked that like oh it is really messy and it's like well it's messier because um it's just harder to live in a world where there's less people like you yeah because um, it's like breaking up or like having a messy relationship with somebody could like implode your other friendships you know what i mean and it's like that can happen to straight people too but like obviously it's not as big of a deal if it's if you have like a much larger group of people that you can even socialize with too because i do feel like to a certain extent like a lot of the straight people on emory's campus are not like very welcoming to the gay people on emory's campus yeah so i don't know all 
perspectives are important since they are the ones engaging in hookup culture. What are the educators being taught and what are they teaching? Elizabeth Peeler discusses not only the resources students can find on campus, but also the misconceptions surrounding hookup culture and how to create a safer and more positive sexual atmosphere. I'm Elizabeth Peeler. I'm the Associate Director of the Office of Health Promotion at Emory University. And what does the Office of Health Promotion do? Yeah, absolutely. So Health Promotion, we actually have a few different goals. Um, that includes addressing um, alcohol and other drug use, also really talking about protective and safer sexual behaviors and practices. This is um, improving and strengthening mental well-being, and then also focusing, too, on really talking about integrating what does integrating well-being truly look like at a college campus for college students. Nice. And can you talk about some of the resources that your office provides for students? Yeah, absolutely. So for our, to kind of starting with our alcohol and other drug work that we do. So we do for all of our topics, we do all kinds of workshops and programs around campus and for student organizations, residence halls, um, and also for graduate students as well. I think that's one misconception of our office is it's only for undergrads and it's for all students. So for our alcohol and other drug initiatives, we actually, uh, you may remember Alcohol EDU back in orientation, that is our office. Uh, we run that program, uh, but also to recognizing that students may be struggling with substance use. So we are really lucky that we have a mental health um, professional who focuses on alcohol and other drug use. Uh, Willie Bannister is a fantastic resource uh, for students if they're worried about their use or if they are worried about friends' use. Um, and we also have a recovery program as well. Uh, and so recognizing that there may be those in recovery from different substance uses and that they need that space to have a community and have a sense of belonging. Um, and then from a mental well-being, uh, we do all kinds of different events on campus and also looking at the structures in place and looking at policies as well, uh, recognizing that it's not just about doing programming to strengthen mental well-being, uh, which is which is absolutely important, but also looking deeper into like what is actually going on with our students and seeing if there's anything that we can kind of help elevate, right? Uh, and so we do a lot of um, different activities, mindfulness. Uh, we have the Take a Break Initiative, which is actually part of Campus Life, uh, which we help co-create to really kind of break it down for students of like, hey, I only have one minute to like take a break. We give you examples of what to do, everything up to like 30 minutes. Um, and we also have a break room on campus in our office, which is located in the AMUC in 237. And this is space for students, not necessarily to study, but just to get away and just really focus on their well-being. Um, and then also for sexual health, we have our Safer Sex Supplies, which student organizations as well as individual students can request all different types of barrier methods. So we are an inclusive and sex positive office. And for us, it's not just talking about consent and you know, protecting against 
STIs or sexually transmitted infections or unintended pregnancies is also to talk about pleasure. Uh, and then also to normalizing that if you're not having sex and you don't want to have sex, that is totally fine and normal, just as much as if you do want to engage in sexual activities. Um, so we carry everything from dental dams to uh, internal condoms, external condoms, um, lube, flavored external condoms, kind of, kind of everything that you would need um, to have safer sex. We also work in, in, in partnership with Stuart Health Services for our PrEP clinic. PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis. This is for prevention of HIV. And so our office provides the health education component of the clinic. Uh, and so that's a great way too, if students are at higher risk for potentially coming in contact with HIV uh, to help protect themselves and their health and their partners as well. Uh, and then we also, again, do different programming and workshops on campus as well. And then also, too, when talking about just general well-being, we do a, a different um, things uh, such as wellness coaching, which, uh, you know, is great because this is it's not it's not therapy in a sense what it is. It's really working with you to figure out what goals do you want to improve upon to increase your well-being, whether that's mentally or physically. Um, I have clients who talk about everything from just time management to what do I want to be when I grow up? So all kinds of it's this space that really I tell students we're in the car together, you're driving it, but I'm in the passenger seat with the map just in case we need to kind of redirect. Um, and then also too, we recognize that some people may not be interested in wellness coaching. So we also do health education uh, sessions as well. So if students, for example, you know, sexual health, I usually get the most questions about, they kind of want to talk about different birth control options or just get more information. We're absolutely happy to kind of sit down with students one-on-one -on -one to really explore more, um, have those questions answered in a, in a safe um, and non-judgmental space. And also I forgot to mention our Sexperts program, uh, which is, um, it is kind of like a peer education model in a sense. So we're actually, because of COVID, we have moved a number of programs virtually. Um, of course, we're back on campus, so we're also kind of trying to do some hybrid things. So in November, so um, be on the lookout on our social media um, pages, we're actually going to be opening up Sexperts, and it's going to be through campus. Uh, and so this is kind of self-paced, recognizing too, uh, you know, part of mental well-being is also wanting to make sure students don't feel like oh my gosh, this is like getting close to finals and I need to get all this done. And I'm also interested in sex experts. We're going to have it open throughout winter break as well. It's self-paced. And so students can go at their pace and then um, we'll probably have an in-person session to kind of do some more of that skill building, right? So it's one thing to hear about putting on an external condom correctly uh, versus actually getting to experience that um, with our sex, uh, uh, sexual health educators. And then also the sex experts is led by other sex experts. So we have a train the trainer model. So if students who go through sex experts are like, ooh, I want to continue doing this work, then they can be a, tra uh, a trainer. And, and work with us on um, implementing the, the curriculum. Can you talk a little bit more about y'all's perspective on being a sex positive place for students on campus? Absolutely. I think one of the things that I think a lot of times students, when they, they see an office like mine, they, they tend to think of us that we're, we're focusing on deficits, which is partly our office, right? Like, for instance, we promote positive 
protective behaviors, whether that is talking about sexual health or even alcohol and other drugs. So for alcohol and other drugs, we talk about harm reduction. That comes from the science. So we know for sexual health, for example, abstinence only does not work. Abstinence is part of comprehensive sex education. And absolutely, we talk about that, but we don't necessarily say one thing's better than the other. For me, it is also making sure that we're providing inclusive sex education. So one of the things that we talk about a lot is we actually have a partnership with Health 100 about sexual health. And one of the questions I get the most, because we do a Q&A after the module, is why is there no LGBTQ plus health section? And the reason is, is actually it's more inclusive to not necessarily say like, this is quote LGBTQ sex. Uh, we recognize like there are certain behaviors that people who identify as LGBTQ do more than those who identify as straight or heterosexual, but anyone can, can, be, can be using any of these different types of sexual behaviors, oral sex, anal sex, you know, vaginal sex. And it really doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is. This is sex, right? And talking about sex is what it what you define it as. So for some people, that's really important to you to recognize from a cultural implication as well. You know, we have a large percentage of students who are also international, uh, and so recognizing that as well. That and we also have students who are from conservative areas in the United States, and so recognizing too, this may be their first time having a inclusive sex positive experience. And part of that is again talking about it's normal to not have sex, it's normal to have sex, uh, really making sure that people feel empowered to be able to to be able to describe what they want, because so often people aren't able to describe that because they haven't been given the education uh, that they desperately need and deserve. Yeah, that sounds great. I really love especially the aspect of reminding us that inclusive sex education also means like not specifying. I never thought of that perspective. Can you talk about any mental health resources for students um, regarding specifically sexual health that your office has? Yeah, absolutely. So recognizing that with sexual health, uh, a lot of times people start thinking about their own identity and what does that mean? Uh, And so we always make sure and recognize where we are at as professionals. You know, I always tell students as someone who is trained as a health educator that my job is to educate, but to really, when talking about going through that process, you know, we really refer to our campus partners, especially CAPS, um, for people who are, are looking at more of that identity space for themselves, but also to recognizing that when we talk about sexual health, we're also, I always tell students, you know, we're going to talk about consent first, uh, because without consent, it is sexual assault. And really starting from there, uh, because so often that conversation is assumed, which it's uh, assuming can be kind of it can be very dangerous in a sense because you're making this assumption that the person you're with or the people you're with are wanting this but really diving into well, how do you talk about this how do you actually ask for consent that feels comfortable for you uh, and those types of things so recognizing that there's trauma involved sometimes when talking about sexual health um, especially with sexual identity and so we really make sure that we don't do any additional harm and so we always refer students to CAPS um, or to other resources out in the Atlanta area. That's one great thing is that we have a lot of resources that we can connect students to but I'm always willing to talk to students and kind of see where are they at and what resources do they need. I see myself as more of a connector to resources sometimes and just providing education. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. To kind of switch gears a little bit, I want to talk about COVID. How has COVID changed the way that students interact with your office? Well, and I think there's so much with COVID, right? It completely changed how we interact with one another. You know, now having the option of doing things virtually is is a game changer. And I say part of that is, you know, with COVID, you know, we were all remote, including faculty and staff for the most part, including myself. We were doing trying to do everything that we normally do in person virtually. Uh, which is pretty difficult to do. A lot of the things that we do, they're based in the science that show like people need to interact with other people uh, in the same space to kind of get the best, the most out of it. That was one of the conversations we had about sex birds. We moved it from, you know, this used to be an all weekend event. You know, again, there was that camaraderie being built. There was relationships being built, new skills being built. But then we had to move this completely online. What did that look like from an evaluation standpoint? And so we actually found it works out really well. Our data looks really good, you know, and that students actually prefer it because they're like, it's self-paced. I still have the option of, you know, when it's safe to in the spring for me to join um, the cohort that I was with. So that's been a really awesome surprise to see that students really like more virtual options. And I think that is part of the difficulties with COVID, but also recognizing too, with COVID, like in sexual health, for instance, it's talking about how does that add another layer into talking about when we talk about sexual communication, like that adds a whole different layer into it, right? You know, of talking about before we had vaccines, you know, there was conversations about, hey, like, are you seeing anyone else just in general versus even just knowing, you know, are you and your partner exclusive or those types of things? As humans, we're having to try and figure out how do we communicate with each other one on one. And then we add the sexual component, which people already feel very uncomfortable sometimes. Then we're adding another layer, which can make it really uncomfortable for people. Right. And have you noticed a change in students at this time regarding their own sexual health? I, I don't necessarily have seen any, any, you know, I always keep up with the national data too. We're finding that students are just as sexually active as they were before the pandemic. One of my concerns with, and still is a concern, is just people making sure they have access to they need barrier methods and making sure that that is continuously being provided for them uh, because access is a, is a huge, is a huge issue for a lot of people uh, and a safe non-judgmental place to also get that access. And also cost is a barrier as well. So all of our services are free as well for students, graduate and undergraduate students. So that's really been uh, a, a big part of kind of when talking about COVID, that's kind of the one big thing is just making sure people have that resource. But I think that's one thing that we were expecting as health educators was, would we see less sexual behaviors? We'd see more, especially with schools like Emory, who came back after a year. Uh, and we, don't, we necessarily haven't seen data to show, oh, people were away for so long and now they just you know want to have sex and, and do all this stuff. We're actually finding it's more the mental health. You know, a lot of us went through a collective trauma together. But recognizing too the way that trauma was displaced was not equally and that certain populations have unfortunately experienced a disproportionate amount of trauma and so what we're finding uh, as well as other schools not just emory is really that the trauma response that our students are having and just transitioning back into in person has been more of a challenge uh, i think for everyone because again we're learning how to communicate with each other 
and we're still stressed out and worried and have anxiety about wanting to make sure that we're in a safe space or if we go back home that we're not taking something back to our family. So that has added a new layer to, to sexual behavior that I don't think any of us really were expecting to see. And is that translated also to this semester when more students are back on campus? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, there, you know, there. I've heard from more students. You know, when I talk to students, you know, because I tell them like I work for you. Like I want to provide the best things that I can for you. I don't have like a list in my office of like let me get all this done and then I'll move on. It truly is meeting where y'all are at and what needs you're at. And so when talking to students, you know, I've had a few sexual health programs this year. The conversation always turns back to mental well-being. And so that's the reason our office, we use a holistic model and a holistic approach. So for me, it's not just like, oh, we're talking about sexual health. It's like, no, let's talk about you as a whole person. Uh, because recognizing that whether it's COVID or whether it is you're questioning your sexual identity or just even this feeling I hear the most often from students of, I'm, you know, when should I be having sex? Or just those normal developmental questions of like, am I having too little? Am I having too much? It's all being compounded. Um, and so, you know, that starts affecting you as a, as a person and as a student. So really it has been more connecting students to resources and also just being a supportive human being and saying, I, I hear you. We lost two years and, and I feel that grief with you. I think that that goes a long way with students. Yeah, definitely. It is really nice to hear somebody who is in like one of the offices around campus say that. That's something that definitely resonates with me as well. Do you think kind of in your interactions with students that there does need to be a larger focus on mental health when we are talking about sexual health? I think I think one thing that I am so incredibly proud of students. So, you know, I was in college 10 years ago where mental health was sort of talked about. It was it wasn't necessarily in the shadows, but it was not nearly talked about, which I think is amazing. I, I love that students are being so proactive uh, and then also hearing their concerns about that as well. And I think one thing for me that I'm hoping that the conversation will also move into is recognizing that your mental health is not just one thing. It also encompasses your physical well-being as well. You know, and that's the reason in our office, so you know, like I mentioned, we do alcohol and other drug programming. It's also making the connection that recognizing that some students are, you know, this you know, study hard, play hard mentality that I hear from a number of students of like, well, I studied really, really hard. I want to blow off some steam. And maybe that behavior that they decided to blow off that steam off is not the healthiest. And so it's still just for, for really everyone, not even just students, is to make is make those connections again of like, oh, not only even with sexual health, right? Talking about alcohol, Office of Respect and I did a presentation about talking about sex and alcohol or sex and other drugs. What does that look like? How, how do we, as a society, kind of navigate what that looks like after the Me Too movement? What is this looking like, right? And I think that is part of, of something that I think when we talk about mental health, I think most people are just assuming we're talking about anxiety and depression, which absolutely we are but it's much more encompassing of that. And so I'm hoping that'll be kind of the next, next level. And that's where my job comes in is to help students recognize that this is all connected. So if you're stressed out about classes and you're stressed out about your relationships, whether it's romantic or not romantic, this is all connected. Uh, and I find students, and I've worked at four institutions, all of them, no matter what, are not connecting that. And that's normal developmentally. You very much compartmentalize things in your life. 
of this, this is my sexual health and my sexual being, and this is my mental being. And sometimes people aren't, don't have, haven't had that opportunity to make those connections. And that's why I find wellness coaching has been so unique in that situation is because again, it's student led. So if you came in and say, Elizabeth, I want to talk about this. I'd be like, let's go, let's, let's talk about it. And then through um, some different theories and different practices that we use and um, coaching, then sometimes we have clients realize like, oh, now I see kind of where, where it all connects. Uh, so that way, just in, in general, you have a better well-being. And so that's why we've really been focusing on well-being as a whole, but also recognizing, too, that we need to bring along students with us in these conversations and, and not just assume that they're going to come with us, but really walking side by side with y'all and, and helping you figure this out. Yeah, and I know a lot, um, a large part of that, at least on college campus, is students who choose to engage in hookup culture. How would your office recommend that students engage in safe hookup culture? Yeah, absolutely. I think talking about hookup culture is so unique because um, if there's some fantastic books out there. I don't know if you've had a chance to read them. Um, and I'm happy to give you those resources. Off the top of my head, I can't think of them. Talking about does hookup culture exist? What is, how are we defining hookup culture? What's interesting from like a data perspective is if even if you look back in the 1940s about sexual behavior, they actually say this idea of hookup culture is more of a construct than actual reality. Is there Are there people who have multiple partners? Absolutely. Um, are there people who have different values on sex? Absolutely. But what they found is that that's been pretty consistent through the late 20th and early 21st century, which I know for me as a sex educator, as I started out in this field, I was shocked. I was like, oh, this is like a, you know, late, you know, 2010s kind of phenomenon, you know, 2000s phenomenon, and it's not. And so that's the reason too in our in our work, it's when we talk about having multiple partners, we normalize it just as if you're only having one partner or having no partners. For me, it's those protective behaviors. So it's, you know, are you getting tested um, between each new partner? Um, you know, are you talking about your statuses with your partner? Are you using protection, whether that is, um, you know, no matter what uh, genitalia your partner has, it's, it's having those conversations and, and those types of things. And so, and that's something I forgot to mention, we do free HIV testing in partnership with the DeKalb County um, um, Department of Health as well, about once a month. And again, that's to add that extra access in as well. And of course, students can get tested at Student Health Services as well. But recognizing, depending on their insurance, they, they may have a cost associated with that. But that's also, too, recognizing students don't want their parents to know, uh, you know if they're sexually active. And for some people, that's a safety concern. We have um, some fantastic free resources or sliding scale resources in our community as well that we can get students connected to. And then also, too, it's it's if you are deciding to have multiple partners, it is to have that kind of be known. I realize it's an awkward conversation, but just it's based it's based on respect and like, hey, just to let you know, like I'm seeing other people because that way it's part of consent. It's letting the other person know like, hey, I am you using protection. I am doing these things, but I want you to have all the data that you need to be able to make a decision. And then I also realized too, that sometimes that's not just very, it's just not realistic. 
but at least start having those thoughts and kind of thinking about, okay, what would that look like uh, in everyday life? I think communication cannot be talked about enough in sex. It tends to be not talked about as much as it needs to be. So kind of to focus on the first part of what you said, you were talking about how there's kind of this misconception on does hookup culture really exist and how do we define it? Do you feel like a lot of students come in with um, a certain perspective about how college hookup culture should be or how sex should be in college? And do you feel like your office kind of dispels some of those misconceptions? Absolutely. I think when we talk about campus norms, so people have expectations of what, quote, college should be or what their university life should be. A lot of that comes from media, uh, you know, that because or it comes from older siblings or older family members who've gone through it. And so also, as humans, our brains are more wired to recognize, quote, more negatively associated things or negative associated behaviors than the positives. So it's kind of like if you see someone smoking on campus and if you've never been on campus before and you see people smoking, you're like, oh, my gosh, this must be where like, all the smokers are. In reality, you're not noticing the hundreds of other people who maybe you're around who are not smoking, right? Your brain is only recognizing that negative association. And so I think that's part of why is this a culture and a society? Because I even talk to professional staff um, and faculty members of they have this idea as well. And I have to kind of back, go back to the science and go back to the data and go, yeah, sure, does it exist in a sense of like, do people have multiple partners and do some people have different values on sex than others? Absolutely. But to say, quote, Generation Z, which is uh, the generation in college right now, is having way more sex than millennials or Gen Xers ever did is not true. Uh, but that comes back against to, to cultural norms. And that's where my office plays a role in. You know, when we do programming, it's kind of dispelling that and kind of addressing that at the, at the start of the gauge. It's saying, hey, we recognize actually the majority of people are not having sex. Some people are having sex and it tends to be a monogamous relationship. And then there are some who are having sex with multiple partners and, and that's fine too. And I think that helps a lot. Again, it's that social norming and then dealing with media. I tell students all the time, I'm fighting against 18 plus years of culture and thought and belief uh, and misinformation. I tell students, if you were taught absence only sex education like myself, you were probably told a lot of falsehoods <laughs> and, and which is not fair to you or as a student or as a human being, because you should be able to be well knowledgeable about yourself and about your body, because then you can be better informed of what you are wanting to do or what you're not comfortable with. And you can't really talk about that if you don't know what's actually real and what is more of a myth. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Are there any other ways on campus or in your office that students can learn about safe sex? Yeah, absolutely. We love having students come into our office. If you do have questions, we're very, we're in the AMUC 237. So just across from the Emory Student Center, we can even see our awning from outside. And we love when students come in and, and you know, if we have that time and space, you know, for um, one of as professional staff or a graduate assistant, we have graduate assistants in our office too, to kind of sit down and chat, happy do so as well as appointments, recognizing that students maybe don't feel comfortable in person yet, totally understandable. We also have virtual options as well. And so to just know that I recognize that as a student, you see an office and you think as an administration, like those types of things, know too that what you tell me 
except for the few like legal things, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go and share this around. I'm not those types of things. It's purely to make sure that you're getting the right information. I tell students, if you don't want to say like you're curious about it, you can always say a friend is uh, because a lot of times students will ask, well, why should I know about sexual health? And it's like, well, maybe right now it's, it's an apple you and that's totally fine, but maybe a friend will or does. And so you get to be that great resource versus going on, trying to go on Google and trying to figure out, is this real or not, right? So, and, or is this TikTok influencer actually knowing what they're talking about with sexual health or are they not, right? So know that you have that resource kind of built in here at Emory is that you can come to myself or um, any of the other staff and we actually know we are professionals. And so we, we can tell you like, yeah, no, that TikTok myth, I, oh, I did, thank you for telling me because now I need to address this in programming. But right, you have that built in expertise here in our office, but also through student, student health services and also through CAPS, Office of Respect, especially if you have questions around consent. And um, if, you, if you are a friend or a survivor of sexual assault, um, you know, that you have these resources here and that we're here to serve you. Uh, I think that's something that I didn't realize as a student, how many resources I had at the tips of my fingers. And I recognize a lot of that has to do with just people's perception and the reality of power that is different. People see me as associate director, as administrator, which I am, but also knowing too, like we really are here to serve you and, and to get, get you what you need, whether that's with my office or with someone else or with someone off campus is to connect you to that. That's great. This is such an amazing resource for students. I'm very glad to be learning about all of these things. I just wanted to ask for a kind of final question, if there's anything else you'd like students to know or anything else that you really want um, other people to know about the importance of safe sex or misconceptions about hookup culture. I think just to know that it's okay not to know the answer. It's okay to, to be like, you know what? I'm not sure. And I recognize how much sometimes it can be hard to come to a professional like myself to, to be vulnerable. So take that chance of being vulnerable. And I recognize some people don't feel safe to be so, and that's totally understandable and try and find a space that you do. Like I said, I will, if, if it's not me, try to get, gain someone else where you feel more comfortable and more be able to be vulnerable. But also too, when we talk about sexual health or sexual well-being. Say what you want, say what you don't want. Uh, I think there's a lot of fear of rejection, which is absolutely normal, but know that it's not about you. Uh, it's about what that person does or doesn't want. Uh, and then I always, as kind of my last, my thing that I always say in sexual health programs, uh, and people always laugh, but to end on a light note, lube is the most underrated. <laughs> um, safer sex supplies, if you will, that is underutilized. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of uh, the person who says lube is the unsung hero in sexual health. <laughs> um, it helps um, increase pleasure, which is, first of all, one of the, the reasons people have sex, no matter what type of sex you're talking about, helps from external condoms from breaking as easily. Um, and so, it, so yeah, so it's really, and so with with making sure that condoms aren't breaking, it you know it decreases your risk of unintended pregnancy uh, and an STI because again, if it breaks, <laughs> then your risk increases. But truly, as I've said, lube is the unsung hero of sexual health. So 
normalizing lube is kind of my mission as well in sexual health, just because of all the myths that are around, quote, natural lubrication. So that, that is what I'll say to kind of end this on a light note. <laughs> well, that was great. Thank you so much for speaking with me. I really Absolutely. appreciate it. Elizabeth helps me understand the misconceptions in hookup culture based on scientific research and the resources that Emory's Office of Health Promotion has for students engaging in sexual activity. There are many misconceptions surrounding hookup culture, but the most important thing to remember is that if you are engaging in sexual activity is to make sure you are safe and in a sex positive and healthy environment. Emory's Office of Health Promotion is a great resource if you are looking for guidance. Thank you for listening to Unpacking Hookup Culture. This has been your host, Rachel Brown. Thank you for listening to the COVID Chronicles. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe, share it with a friend, and rate it on your favorite podcasting app. You can visit us at exploringhealth.org and follow the Emory University Center for the Study of Human Health at Emory CSHH on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next time, stay safe and be well.